You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to John Comic Pro wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. And now that the Super Bowl is over, your Washington Commanders have just moved into a four-way tie for first place in the NFC East. How about that? Go crazy, folks. Anyway, Sam Fortier from the Washington Post is going to join me in a couple minutes to discuss some off-season topics playing off of what Ron Rivera said during a Super Bowl media tour last week. I had an interview with Rivera that was, that I played on Friday. We can go back and listen to that and find out some of those issues. But the one thing we started with and talked the most about was Chase Young's fifth-year option, because I think there's a lot of meaning in it. Now, keep in mind, I emphasize the word, they're undecided on it. There's still a few months left. They, I, anyways, Sam and I get into all that, but the key word is undecided. The ramifications of that, Montez Sweat being a free agent, et cetera. You have Duran Payne up this year that you want to sign. You want to give the extension to Cam Curl, all sorts of things. We also talk about some under the radar decisions to this offseason and find out what we, what we talked about there. A lot of other things. Anyway, stay tuned for that in a couple minutes. As always, a few things first, starting with the offensive coordinator search, and that means with the Super Bowl over, they, of course, want to interview Kansas City offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. They have been interested in him for a while. That's why they have waited to make a decision here. They, have, of course, talked to six other coordinator candidates. Bieniemy is expected to be the last. So here's the, here are the couple things with that. One, obviously, Baltimore does sound like they want to interview him as well. So it could well come down. It sounds like it'll come down to Washington or Baltimore if both teams want to offer him the position. Why would he go here or there? Well, your answer is really simple. He's not the primary play caller in Kansas City, never will be as long as Andy Reid is there. It's not really his offense. You're doing, you're running Andy Reid's offense. This would give going with an, a defensive coach like Ron Rivera or a guy who came from special teams like John Harbaugh would give him a chance to run his offense the way he needs to, et cetera. So I think th those are some of the reasons why he would want to leave Kansas City. Why here? Why? Well, I don't know if he'll choose here. So I don't know. Um, I think one of the things you'd have to look at for him is how much do you like the skill talent here? But there are going to be questions for him at quarterback. While Ron Rivera and a lot of people can say, you know, Sam Howell could be the guy. We don't know. We don't know what he's going to be. He could be pretty good. He could be pretty ordinary. We don't know. We know that he's not proven. We know that they need to find more offensive linemen. We also know in Baltimore that they don't, they need to improve their skill talent, but they do have Lamar Jackson. However, what if something goes astray there with their negotiations with him? Then what happens? So I think there's a lot of things to consider. And I know that the ownership situation could factor here. You're going to look at Baltimore or some, you know, Baltimore, if you wanted to go there, is maybe having more stability because you have a more an established coach there who has won there. 
and you have an ownership situation that's a lot more settled than it is here, that could factor into a decision for him as well. I don't know. But anyway, stay tuned. I think that I think the OC stuff will be over this week. That's the expectation. The timing of it will depend on when he talks, when he does interview here, when he would interview in Baltimore, and then go from there. So that's one thing. The other thing is on Sam Howell. And um, just a couple of things. When Sam and I, Sam Fortier and I talk about this, it wasn't a big surprise that Ron Rivera said publicly for the first time that he was going to be the quarterback QB1 going into the offseason or going into the spring workouts. That's not really the discussion here. It's really about why and how much do they do they like him, et cetera. And I know some people have said, well, if he liked him so much, why was he going to start Taylor Heineke? Well, I can tell you from firsthand knowledge, I know what they were talking about leading into that game, going into that decision. And the whole thing was, there, I know there was a desire to start Heineke and then bring Howell in because they absolutely, Ron Rivera and the team and the, the franchise wanted to see Howell play before that season ended. So he was always going to play against Dallas. But they, but the initial thought, and you can disagree with this, I think you can have, if you have a problem with this line of thinking, have at it. But the thinking was start Heineke, limit some of the pressure or the hype for lack of a better word, around how leading into that game, let him kind of ease into the week and ease into the game and not put too, not put too much on him. Again, you can say, like, that's the wrong approach. Fine. But I do know that they want to see him there because I think there's some people saying, well, if, if he likes him so much in MQB1, why did he not want to see him in the, in the game? They did want to see him, and he wanted to see him in other games because he talked about it during the season a, a couple times. And there were a couple times that somebody told me that he was told that, they, the other coaches didn't think that Howell was ready. So that's the information that, that you're going to go off of. Regardless, I do know that they like him. I do know that they liked him before the draft. And that was the guy that some people there and some that I think that's where they would have gone had they not drafted, excuse me, not traded for Carson Wentz. They would have gone for Howell earlier than the fifth round for sure and had him compete or brought him in and, and try to develop him to be in this situation. Anyway. You can, you can go wherever you want with that information. Um, you can also have you know, whatever you want to say about how good you think your Howell's going to do or not do. We have a bunch of months to speculate on all that, but I did want to at least kind of inform on, on what I just told you because I think there's some out there that are just a little bit confused by the whole thing or um, questioning where I don't think they need to really question. Anyway. Then now let's get into some of the ownership stuff. One of the things I found interesting, and if you go back, Sean Payton, now the coach for the Denver Broncos, formerly with New Orleans, said on a on a one radio show, which I was actually surprised he said this, but he said that one of the ownership groups, um, potential ownership groups to buy the commanders had reached out to him about joining them as a coach. I don't blame them. I think that's natural for ownership groups. If you're going to come onto a place to inquire about a guy at his level to see, would you be interested in coming here if I buy this team? I think what's unusual is for Peyton to actually say it out loud when there's a guy that he's competed against for a while is still in the position. It just, it was an odd to me, an odd thing to say. And I don't, it was a very odd thing to say. I, I, you don't hear a, another head coach saying that. I'm curious why they would say that. I think the other interesting part of, and I don't know if he has a beef with Rivera or not. I don't, I've never heard that, but maybe there is one. But again, I was surprised that a coach would say that while another coach still has a job. But I did find it interesting how they talked about the franchise and how, you know, where it was at before, where it could still be in the future. And I think there's still 
I, I, I think there's a lot, there's hope that this franchise can get back up there once this sale is, is ever consummated. Now, on to the sale. So there's going to be a lot of speculation over the next month or two until this thing is finally sold. And we're going to be talking about this later this week, about some of that speculation, what you need to pay attention to, et cetera. Right now, I'd say, what do we know? Because that's, as a reporter, I'd say, what do we know? Well, we know that Josh Harris certainly is interested and did tour the facility um, recently. And so like, we know that. What does it mean? Well, it means he's interested. And if you're going to buy something like this and you're going to spend billions of dollars, you may want to see what you're buying in addition to not just the team, but the facilities. What do you, what else are you going to need to invest in this team to make it work? And he'd also toured the Broncos facilities before that team was sold. He of course did not get it. So we also know that Jeff Bezos has not put an offer in yet, but doesn't mean he can't. These deadlines feel kind of soft. And you you can't tell me if there's like a February 20th deadline, let's say, whatever, and, you know, 15th or whatever it is. If on the 16th, Bezos says, yeah, you know what, I'll give you $7 billion. Do you think they're going to say no? Or do you think you say it's too late? Sorry, your, your, offer is, your offer is the best one by a billion, but, you know, you came 24 hours too late? No, I don't think so. Anyway. Um, but th- so that's what we know. And we know that there are others obviously interested. And I think then, it, then you start speculating names, Todd Bowley, you know, the, the one, another name you've heard a few times is David Stewart. Is he actually interested? Did he put in a bid? You know, you hear some, some talk that, that there is interest there, but I don't know for sure. So, you, you know, it's it, right now, it's just, it's a lot of speculation with billionaires comes a lot of speculation. Not everybody wants it public. Some do. I think the, you know, the, the rule of thumb has been the guys who are really want the publicity early on are probably not the guys who are going to be there in the end. So a lot of times it's done in quiet. So that's why I say there's going to be a lot of speculation. Some of the speculation, you have to question, why why is that story coming out there? Is somebody floating this to try and drive up the price or try and entice somebody else, like a Bezos, to get involved? A lot more to learn on this. Just don't let your heads go crazy. What we also know is that the team is up for sale. There is a reason why it's up for sale. And it's not just a matter of people going to Dan Snyder saying, hey, would you sell it? They put the team up for sale for a reason. Now, they do they have to sell it? Doesn't sound like it, but you know, if they don't get the offer they want, but that, you know, um, but what we also know is that there's a lot of debt that the Snyders are taking on, and they'd have to take on even more to buy a state to build a stadium. And I think to do that, and I'm not sure that the NFL would allow them to do that. So there is a you have to keep in mind some of these facts. There is a strong motivation for them to have to sell. And, and the expectation internally is still that they're going to sell. So just keep all that in mind when you start to read all the speculation. But again, until anything's official, nothing is fi- official, right? There, there you go. I know that's not a lot of great insight, but it's just trying to make sure that you pay attention to what you know versus what is being speculated on. I think that's always important in situations like this. And I try and bring on some people and try and educate myself more about some of this process and where it's going so I can better inform you of what's going on and bring you some people who can at least analyze this maybe in, in, a, in a good way so you can learn and know what should you pay attention to and what should you not. Anyway, that's all I got for me. And right now, well, now, not in a minute, right now, here's my conversation with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. And by the way, you can follow him on, on Twitter at Sam4TR. There you go. Here is Sam Fortier. 
Sam, the big thing that last, or I guess, because we're taping this on Friday, this is going to come out Sunday night slash Monday. A few days ago, Ron Rivera made the rounds at the Super Bowl, and one of the topics, there are a couple of things, the quarterback situation, which we largely knew, but I think he expanded on some of that, but then also the Chase Young fifth-year option, and how right now it is undecided what they're going to do, and so it still could be picked up, but first of all, were you surprised that they're undecided even at this point with his fifth-year option. Kai, this is a great point, and I love that you always jump right into the news, but I feel like we got to step back for a second and talk about the biggest story that came out of Super Bowl week, which was that your son got <laughs> awarded a scholarship. Yes. And I th- th- it's, so congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's it's very cool to see his hard work recognized. He, he works he works his ass off, and I'm very we're very proud of him. And his brains come from his mom, and <laughs> I'm not sure what comes from me. And if he tells bad jokes in a few years, then I'll know what he got from me. Well, he, he doesn't get the dancing skills from you? No, he does not. <laughs> and I, and I, so a little story on that. Last weekend, we went up to, he goes to Boston Conservatory, was in his first performance. And during it, at one time, they kind of had like this mini break. And one of the dancers came out and said, hey, everybody in the audience, stand up. We're going to teach you how to do a couple moves. So I'm thinking, okay, like there's this place is packed. And there are legitimate, there are dancers in here, for God's sake. So you know, I get up there. I'm like, well, I better stand up. I should stand up, blah, blah, blah. And she does a move. I'm like, oh man, I'm already off. She does another move. I'm like, oh, and it's like, if, if there had been someone tapping the shoulder of people who were eliminated, they'd have come on right then and put me down. So I just sat down, like not going to embarrass myself anymore. There was, there was a camera behind us and the chance that I was going to be on there. I'm like, sit down now. You can only embarrass yourself. And so I sat down. So that's, but my, but yeah, he gets hit. My wife, his great grandmother was was a was a professional dancer and was in movies and all that. So ah. there's a there's a lineage there, and there could be a whole show devoted to what she did. Um, but I don't think I think that would kind of steer the conversation in a way that people are like, "What the hell is this?" But I appreciate <laughs> you, I appreciate you bringing that up, and the kid has worked awfully hard. Props out to my son Sean. Anyway. I'm not super surprised that you sat down to not be on tape because I know you don't like grinding tape and that's not really your thing. <laughs> not uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, to go back to your original question, Chase Young, am I surprised? Yeah, I, I am surprised that he would say that publicly. I do think this is sort of like, um, I, I think back to the 2021 mini camp when he wasn't there and Ron talked about, Oh, we had almost perfect attendance. And he, he went out of his way to be restrained about not criticizing chase and Montez for not showing up. And for him to now say, we're thinking about it as motivation. Like if you're saying that about the guy, your first draft pick, the guy you picked number two should be a cornerstone of the franchise. You're sort of suggesting that you're worried about his level of motivation. You're sort of suggesting that he might need more of it. And so I'm surprised that he he chose that tact. Uh, I think people in Chase Young's camp are, are a little bit surprised that he chose that tact. Um, but if that's what he feels needs to be done, then, you know, I, I credit him for not shying away from saying that publicly. Right. And I, you're right. Like there was a surprise um, with what was said. And I think the other thing is what you hear is like, he's already been working out. So I also think the knee play is still a factor for them. And the lack of information over the last two years, because you missed 20, I think it was what, 22 games, right? So that's a lot of time to miss when you're going into a deciding year when you're in his position. But it's still, 
and again, it still may happen. Still might pick it up. Sure. And, and I think like, like sort of the context for me is Curtis Samuel has surgery, but he doesn't want Ron to disclose it publicly. So Ron does it. Ron is known for being a player's guy, right. protecting his players. And so when he comes out and says something publicly, it's obviously thought out. It's obviously, you know, there's a point to it. And I think the knee is, is a totally legitimate, you know, any coach, any team would probably have concerns, especially when it took that long to come back. Um, so for him not to bring up the knee to, to talk about motivation, it was it was just sort of there was a lot right. of signal there for right. me. Um, and I'm not saying he... that. Go ahead. No, go on. I was just going to say it's not like this means Chase Young is going to be a bust or he's never going to live up to his immense potential. Um, but like but it, it's just it's notable to me that that we're at this point in what it seems like is their relationship. Right. And I think because he also brought up the Duran Payne factor. Now, they obviously picked up. Payne's fifth year, but that going into a contract year, his level of production really went up and it could be a combination of things. It could be, I mean, he could have matured as a player. It could be the motivation of the contract certainly is going to be a big part of it for anybody. And then I think there's the change in defensive line coaches, I think helped that entire group. So I think all those factors worked for him, but the other problem, the other aspect here is, or again, first of all, do you think they ultimately will? And this is just guessing now from our standpoint, but do you think ultimately they would pick it up? Because part of my theory here, Sam, and is not theory, but thinking is they're going to see him come back in April and see what level of where, he, where he's at with everything in terms of the shape he's in, how the knee is, et cetera. They'll get a couple of weeks to, they'll know like, well, if he shows up like this, you can pick it up. If he doesn't, then maybe you don't. What do you think ultimately might happen here? Yeah, I think the how he comes back is certainly going to be uh, an important indicator. And like you said, I think he's been working out, I was told this week for, you know, already he's been working out for two for weeks. He got weeks. back at it, especially because when you miss that time, you know, you're not, your body isn't beat up like right. a lot of other guys. So he, he should theoretically have the capacity to hit it hard and, and show up in, in really good shape. So, you know, I, I think when, when we talk about motivation, it's not just like, oh, we want him to play really hard on his fourth year or because I still think they could even get a big long term extension done before that fourth year, which a lot of guys do. Right. Like as soon as you're eligible for an extension. But but yeah, I think it's, hey, we want you to be in tip top shape. We want you to show like, hey, I'm taking this extremely seriously. Um, I think after his rookie year, when he wasn't there for those those workouts, when he was shooting those commercials, um, they they wanted to see more commitment. They wanted to yeah. because if you're if you're going to go through offseason workouts and you install everything and you get you know and then you have to start over because your two starting you know edge rushers weren't there like that sets a team back and I think that you know that's what they want to avoid and so if if you can get him to show up in in good shape in and committed and really ready to realize that potential I think that could go away a long way for your team. Right. And, and I think that's another part of it. The other party, because you bring up Montez, there's a chance if you don't pick that up, that they're both playing for contracts next year. Is that a good situation? Uh, well, so here's the, the other part of this that we haven't talked about. It's sort of the same as like, do you pull the lever of the franchise tag for Deron Payne? Right. Ron Rivera going into year four knows that he has to have a really great season because assuming there's a new owner, the new owner is going to want to pick his guy. He's been through the situation with David Tepper in, Ter in Carolina. So I'm not saying that you're going to ask a player to risk his entire career 
you know, or play without that guarantee uh, on a fourth year, like both those guys could be doing. But to me, it's sort of um, Ron Rivera has to do whatever it takes to make his team the best it can possibly be this fall. And it seems like he, he's figured out, okay, quarterback is is more than likely going to be Sam Howell. We heard that. And if, and if you have to, you know, do whatever it is to get your edge rushers to, to show up and be the game wreckers that they're supposed to be, keep Deron Payne with the franchise. Like all those things I think are factors in Ron's mind of how do I get the most out of this team in 2023? Um, I would be surprised if, if Montez and Chase both played this year for contracts, but I, I think it ultimately, you know, for them as players wouldn't be the worst thing. And, and I think back to when we were in Houston in the locker room after the game and Montez really talked about like him and John Allen, obviously it was Houston, so it wasn't great competition, but him and John Allen had some really great rushes off each other in that game. When Montez talked about rushing together, rushing as a unit, which obviously they didn't do in 21, Montez was there and able to, I think, see the real-time benefits of, oh, like if John's diving inside, I need to stay outside. I need to stay high so we can keep the, the pocket together. And if you can have him continue fulfilling that responsibility, being an elite edge setter in the run game as well, like, I think that would set both, you know, it would certainly set him up for a big payday. And that's a good point. And, you know, the funny thing along with that, because I actually felt like the year before that Montez and John had figured it out. And then that's when Montez got hurt. So they were just starting to figure out because you saw some plays against Denver that I remember like, oh, that was an example of what they've been wanting to see. So I think those two have the same mindset. They work well together. And so I think that's a good pairing. But then because then the other question comes, can you keep all four of those guys? I think that's where the advantage of Sam Howell comes because he's on the rookie deal. So if he pays off, we don't know. But if he does, that's where you have the advantage to do that. If he doesn't, I don't know how you can keep all four of those guys together. I, I don't – even if you have Sam Howell, I don't know if it's you can keep lot. all four of those guys together. They're going to cost a lot of money, and I know that you can structure different cap hits. And, you know, if you if you make chases or Montez's caps low when Johns are high and, you you know, kind of even it out. Like, I understand there's a lot that you can do there, but I just – four defensive linemen getting paid, especially if you're going to pay elite interior money at 19, 20 APY, if you're going to go elite on the edges, like – it's just, it's really hard for me to envision that. Like, if you can get away with it, if, if pain is on the tag this year, but giving all four of those guys long-term, big money, you know, market-level deals, I, I, I just don't see it. And that's, I think, because I do think they'll look for a defensive end in this draft. Now, it could just be for backup pass rusher, you want more depth there. You always want, you know, it's like looking for pitching in baseball. You always want to look for pass rushers. But I also think you want to set yourself up. Because if you have to let, if you decide like we can't keep them both, who are we going to let go? Well, we have this guy here ready to take over here. You ha- that's how you have to think. So I could see that, and that's where you almost wonder. Part of me would wonder if, again, we're talking two months they have to make this decision on. Maybe it's even no, it's probably what three months. May May first, yeah. May first, yeah. There you go. So they have some time to make this decision, but if they don't do the fifth year option, then. I also wonder, do you just say, like, go get it? We're, we'll we'll keep one of you guys. Yeah, I think because this is where, to me, like, Martin Mayhew and Rob Rogers and, like, those guys have to step in and, and really, like, help help Ron Rivera, like, look at, at the longer picture here. Because And I know that those guys are, are arguably, like, 
not not playing for their jobs necessarily, but like you know, everybody here knows like what the situation is. Correct. And so, like that, that's why, like you know, when I see like Anthony Richardson or some of these quarterbacks mocked to them in the first round, like I sort of you know disregard that because I don't think that those guys are going to help in in year one or, or you know year four for Ron, which he needs to maximize. But that that's why the tag makes so much sense to me, and and not to harp on this, but like it's 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 sort of like okay. Uh, you want to get a long-term deal done with Cam. You don't want to. You don't. But but you can't do that if you're gonna then prioritize all four of those D linemen. Right. So you're balancing what is the best for this team long-term versus what is the best uh, for this team right now. Because like I think personally, organizationally, if you're looking at this on a five-year, ten-year time horizon, I think the be- the smartest thing to do is a tag and trade with Deron Payne. Because if you can pick up, you know a third round pick or that you, that you lost when you traded for Carson Wentz, you can kind of like maybe get back to close to even there that sets your team up for the future. Like that is, I think what the Eagles have done so masterfully as we look at the Super Bowl, like they they've done so well at how do we get extra picks? How do we get comp picks? How do we maximize those picks? And then you can use one of them on a backup quarterback who then becomes a guy that can take you to the Super Bowl. So but, but I don't necessarily think that that's how they're operating. Right. And I think, you know, if you, to me, if you trade Payne, you, with the, coming off the year he had, if another team's going to assign to a long term deal, you can maybe get a second round pick out of that too, depending on where in the second round with it. And I think that's what, if, you know, if I'm going to trade him for value, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to trade him. That's a great shot. He's got a little cat walking by him. Um, I didn't know you were at Ben's house. My my roommate actually adopted two cats recently, so this this is Ruth that uh, that just walked by. There you go. Anyway, but you know you could you could sit you know you could I would want to get more value for him if I'm going to give him up right now to 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 trade because otherwise I think if you're going into year four for Rivera, he has more value to you right now playing than he does setting you up for the future. The other but the other um, but along those lines, then we talk about that. And then you look at quarterback and they're kind of taking a different approach because if you really want, if you really felt like you better win this year, would you be more aggressive going out to getting guys who are now available to you rather than staying with how, or because clearly his take is build up around the guy because there's enough around him right now that if he, if you, if he gets a level of play that they think they can, they'll be better than last year. That's the thinking. But you know, are you surprised at all with that tactic? And we've talked about how before we know he's going to go in there as a thing, but are you surprised at all about that approach on that side of the ball? So this is an interesting question. I feel like it kind of goes back to discussions that we've had maybe last off season about like, how much do you value certainty or confidence? Because theoretically yes like your ceiling is higher you would get better play if you if you were like hey we're willing to give a bag to Derek Carr right like uh or or even like a Jimmy Garoppolo or you know one of these more established veteran guys like you just but I almost would would say that your confidence in in like the range of outcomes is higher with Howell even though he's younger even though you've seen less of him on the field in games you've seen more of him around the building he's been you know in you can't even say the system because we don't really know what the system's going to be yet. But like, but to me, I think Ron is just kind of scarred sort of in the same way he's talked about center. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in and gets hurt. Carson Wentz comes in and, and absolutely, you know, flames out. So I think at this point he's like, all right, like I've, you know, I put my hand in the cookie jar and got swatted like a couple times. Let me stick with the guy that 
I know the best. And and even though he might not be the best answer, he might not have the highest ceiling, I at least know him and I'm confident in the way that he works. And so I I would totally I would totally concede an argument that Derek Carr is is a more talented uh or or a more established right. with with probably, you know, physical tools that we we you just know what you're going to get with him. Um uh, but in this system, in this structure, uh, with his personality in the building, I think those are big questions that are harder to quantify, but are very, very real to Ron. And I'm glad you said that. And I also think the other part too, Sam, is then it's the combination of what you have to give up for that quarterback and are they worth it? And I would say no, because you're now you can't, or how much are you able to improve what they need to improve, which is the offensive line? You know, what, what is that cap space going to prevent you from doing? Will it prevent you from signing one of these guys to a long-term extension this off season? So that's where I would say, that's where, you know, on the surface, initially you say, well, yeah, more proven and all that. But then when, in terms of roster building, it's not better for you. I, I don't think like, you know, unless you can get some, I just, I I'm and Jimmy Garoppolo always hurt would not Rogers would take way too much away from what they want to do. Um, so I actually think offensively you're better off building up that line, you know, adding something there, getting more guys in the back seven on defense, to to help you out a source told me that when i was coming on this podcast last minute that i would be asked a question about like what is the most underrated dis- was decision that. that they had to make and and i haven't been asked that so so i'm just going to go ahead and say right. it's a nice hey, hint. <laughs> what's what's an under the radar decision or move you think they have to make this off season wow thank you for asking kind <laughs> um and it kind of goes to the point of the offensive line and I think that it might see this. This is an under radar, under the radar one because it seems like you may have already made it because of what you did in week 18. But you have to figure out do you think Sam Cosme is a tackle or a guard? Because that is going to affect how you, you know, build this offensive line, what you do with him. I mean, he's a second round pick. And obviously, he was not pleased, as he told us in the locker room right. on cleanout day, about switching back and forth. And so, you know, like, when you're at the senior bowl and you have Travell Wharton coaching these offensive linemen, you're getting a really good look at guys that could be available to you in the first round, whether it be Darnell Wright from Tennessee, uh, whether it be Dewan Jones from Ohio state, like those are, are legitimate candidates for your pick in the first round. And so you have to say like, okay, if we draft a tackle, is Sam Cosme a guard? Like, like what, what are we do? What are we looking for? Regardless right. of offensive system, what do we want? And so like, Maybe they've already made that decision. Obviously, you know, uh, Sam played tackle in, in that last in that last game against Dallas. So perhaps you already know, but I think that is a decision that you have to stick to and allow him to develop going into his third year. Right. And I also wonder for them if that will come down to when it gets time to the draft, who are you able to get? You know, are you getting a guy that's a tackle? Then you slide him inside. If you get a guy that's a guard, then maybe you keep him outside. So I think that's that would be part of it too. I think – Another one for me would be, what do you do with Logan Thomas? Do you do anything? Because his, I think his cap number is like almost $9 million this year. They would save about approximately $3 million if they released him. Not, you know, and, and you know, but do will they keep him? And I think like you're a veteran in his stage. I know those guys get nervous about their future. When you look at some young guys, then it would be like, well, you still would want to add to that room if you if you did something with him. And I don't know that they will do anything with him. I just that that's one of the decisions I think you're going to make. And I haven't heard rumblings on that. It's just that, you know, veteran, he wasn't his best year because of the injuries. Sometimes to me, it was because of usage. 
a lot because of usage, not use as much in the red zone. You know, what's the future for him? And and I'm not even advocating cutting him, but what is his future? And do you see him being used more in this offense? Well, this goes back to who's the offensive coordinator? What is the right. scheme going to be yeah. to some extent? But to your point, like, I, I think that there's a very real possibility that he is cut. I think there's like a strong... Yeah. There's, there's like a totally fair to strong argument on on keeping him. He's your best dual threat tight end. Uh, you know, he, he offers, I think, a lot of veteran experience, savvy, you know, being a former quarterback, finding those, you know, finding those holes in the zone, which I think he was successful at when he when we've seen him at his best in Washington. Um, obviously a good red zone target. And, you know, maybe the the argument for for letting him go is you have some talented tight ends behind him, particularly pass catchers. I think Armani Rogers you know, really flashed in, in the few months he was playing tight end uh, before he got to Washington. Um, and so to me, you had, and, and Curtis Hodges, who was hurt, but I think, you know, they like, I think that that room is deep enough and has enough talent where if the offense looks like it did last year, where the tight end is not the most important part that you can say, okay, you know, we will take the cap savings and we'll bet on the young guys. Um, but I think that that decision will hinge on, what does the new OC come in and want? Right. And I, I like Rogers as a matchup problem. I think I, I enjoy, I think you can move around with that. I also have a guy who's going to leave a message for the third time in a row on, on the YouTube page saying Darnell Washington from Georgia pancakes guys and all that. I hear you. I'm your, I got you. So you can, you don't have to put it again, but I know I, I do hear you. Okay. So I, I am, I do, I do hear you, but, but, it, but it is a guy that would be that type of player. But again, it depends on who is a coordinator and then um, I think we'll know as far as the draft goes, what they're going to do with what they do with Logan before that, if anything. So, you know, that, that would be one last thing I want to bring up, you know, do you have stadium update for us? I know you wrote a story earlier this week. Yeah. So <laughs> the commander's stadium search, I would say the, the big picture takeaway here is it's in limbo. It's, it's a little bit stuck in neutral while the ownership situation is being sorted out. Um, but basically governor Glenn Youngkin, uh, proposed $500,000 to study ways to attract the commanders in 2024, which is like, that's not an aggressive move like they were trying to make last year, where it was, right. they were trying to make a stadium authority and, and give direct subsidies. Um, so basically, but, but even that is being opposed by the Senate, which is with the, the Virginia State Senate, which is interesting to me, because if you look at the broad landscape, Maryland has shown no interest in improving their $400 million package that they proposed last year. D.C. still does not even have control of RFK. That's still owned by the federal government. And disagreements between the mayor and the council chairman are preventing like them from even pursuing that. So for Virginia to, to oppose this, is to propose just the study, is, is interesting to me. Because if the owner changes, which we I think we all expect it to, I think that this landscape could change really quickly. I think that jurisdictions could, could jump in and, and try to compete um, – for what theoretically would be, you know, a huge economic driver um, for the region, maybe not as big as like some of the team sponsored studies would lead you to believe, but still a significant economic opportunity. Um, so I, I don't think this means Virginia is off the table, but certainly there is very little appetite to do anything to help the commanders while Dan Snyder is the owner as per usual. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's like, you talk to some people there and it's like, what's it going to take to get a stadium bill? It's going to be new owner. You know, that's what will open the door for for RFK, for anywhere else. But I have this, my Lord, Sam, I'm just, 
I have a feeling we might be at FedEx longer than we thought we might, because <laughs> it's just hard to imagine that this gets done like that. It doesn't happen that way. So they have to stay at FedEx until at least 2027, 20, right? Yeah. Because of the lease. But Jason Wright has said we want to open the new the new uh, stadium in 2027. Good luck I, with that. Yeah, I, I think that timeline is off the table. I think they'll probably be there at least 2028. 20, and and one other note oh, about DC, because I know I know people, you know, I think people really want it to be in DC. Even if the owner changes, Mayor Muriel Bowser talked about, you know, there were two obstacles always for, for getting the team back, and it was the name and and uh, the owner. And if, if the second part of that goes away, you would think, oh, there's going to be an avenue here. But um, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, because I do think the mayor and the council chairman, their issues are preventing the delegate, Eleanor Holmes Norton, from introducing this legislation. And, um, you know, I, I think that it would be a if, if the owner changes, it would be a big help for for those efforts. But by no means is it going to be, you know, right away after that, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I, you know, um, I think there's there's a lot there are other factors in there with how people want to develop that land and all that. And so there are definitely other things to consider, but it certainly opens that possibility a hell of a lot more once that happens. But long way to go on that. And by the way, the other one of the other small under the radar things would be running back, adding a third one. Jonathan Williams is a free agent. Um, Jared Patterson, I mean, he's not unrestricted, but, you know, he is um, actually I think he. He's a free agent. Yeah, too. he is. He's he a is. free agent. That's right. Right. So you need a third guy in that room, whether it's bringing back those guys, but I know they're going to want to look for one. I think that's on their pro- on the priority list to help in a 17-game season when you have two backs like that and you want to play this kind of style, you're going to need a third rugged guy um, to help you out, whether, again, it's Williams, whatever. So anyway, that's just another one. But I did want to bring up Stadium 1. I appreciate you coming on. I told you I'd keep you to a certain time. I've already gone over, but – I'm 70 minutes shy of where Ben would have kept you on his podcast. So <laughs> shout out, yeah. I'm standing. The only thing you're doing is is keeping me from uh, pulling up my YouTube burner and commenting about uh, Darnell, the tight end from Georgia. So, <laughs> all right, very good, Sam. Thanks a lot. Oh, by the way, do you have anything for the? Well, this the Super Bowl is going to be played. By the time people listen to this, it will be over. So I'm not going to ask you who's going to win. But is there one lesson that this team can learn from either of those teams? You say this is what they got to do. Just whether it's roster building or anything like that. Get a quarterback? The, the roster – well, no, no. So, actually, the lesson that I think that you can learn from the Eagles is, like, if you know a guy isn't the answer, move on. Like, they, like the Eagles absorbed a record cap hit. I believe it was, like, $33 you know, million in dead cap to move on from Carson Wentz, but they knew that he wasn't the guy, so they did it. And, like, you, a lot of that comes down to ownership and, like, obviously – the commanders are are not the only team in the NFL that hesitates to move on from guys because you're eating a lot of dead cap. But what Howie Roseman did to maximize a quarterback on a, on a you know rookie contract, what what owner Jeffrey Lurie did to absorb that dead cap and say, hey, you know, you are going to have full spending power. Like the thing that sticks out to me is just how aggressive they were in improving. Like when we were up there in, I believe it was November, and Washington ran downhill and said, you are not going to stop us from running duo because you're soft inside and your edge rushers don't want to defend the run. Harry Roseman said, after that game, he said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go get Indomitian Sue and Linval Joseph, two of the bigger interior defensive presences. I love what they've done. Yeah, and and it goes back to me, like, when Washington lost Fedarian Mathis in week one, their answer was signing Donovan Jeter. And I'm not saying Donovan Jeter's a bad player. 
And I'm not saying, you know, they couldn't have gone at those numbers, but just what a what a contrast it was between Washington losing an interior guy and what they did and what Philadelphia did when their interior was exposed. And I think that's why one of these teams is in the Super Bowl. It is. And I will a, say a lot of other stuff too. Hold on, just real quick. Reason. But but that, that is a very micro way that one of those teams got to yeah. the Super Bowl. And I think they did that all offseason as well. And that's why that's why they're they were in that spot. And it's why, you know, whatever happened in that game. Um, but I think it's right. And if you but if you're Sue and Joseph, you're not signing here in week one. You're gonna wait to see what else comes about. But I like, but you're exactly right. It was the aggressive, so they took to do it. Um, I will say, Sam, that as of right now, as of people listening to this. Washington is tied for first place in the NFC East in the 2023 <laughs> standings. So, you know, there you go. That's if you want hope out there for you fans listening, there you go. They're tied for first right now. Um, you can sleep well tonight. So Sam, thanks a lot for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me, Cam. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Sam for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning with another podcast. So, I'll talk to you next time.